And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. As a listener to the VanCast, you know sports is back. You're watching the Vancouver Canucks and the Minnesota Wild in their play-in series in Edmonton. Beyond that, it's the NHL in two hub cities. It's basketball, it's baseball, it's soccer. Golf has a major going on. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now at The Athletic and save. Sign up and see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash thevancast now, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams, so go to theathletic.com slash thevancast for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. New Vancast, the day after the Vancouver Canucks uh, get a little bit of life and get on the board with a 4-3 win over the Minnesota Wild. Jeff Patterson in Vancouver. Thomas Drance is in Edmonton. And Drance, you've been there, uh, documented it on the last Vancast. We won't get into the sort of stories behind what it's like in uh, the bubble because you laid that out beautifully. And this allows us just to jump right in and get after it. And we got ourselves a series. Do we ever? We have a series in which Louis Erickson led all Canucks skaters in ice time. Not not forwards, J-Pat. Skaters. In five-on-five five ice time after 40 minutes. Uh, and played really well. Like, I think if you'd told Travis Green, like, forget the pandemic. Forget that this would all happen in August in Edmonton. I think if you told Travis Green before the season that his first career playoff win would come in a game in which he played Louis Erickson over 20 minutes, I think he would have thought you were nuts. Uh, but look, that's what happened. I thought Louis Erickson helped that line. Uh, like, Bo Horvat, Tanner Pearson, I think they needed some help in that Erickson-Eck matchup. That's continued to be a trouble spot for the Canucks through, you know, both of these games at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, Louis Erickson, 20 minutes a game, played really well. Like, what is going on? What a crazy... Frickin' world we live in, uh, J-Pat. 20 minutes, 20 minutes of ice time 
not a shot attempt. Like he, he just. <laughs> I mean, he, he he tried on the two on one. Oh, there was God. an attempt. There was an attempt to make an attempt, but ultimately didn't. Like it was one of those. It was sort of a Louis Erickson masterclass at this stage of his career, where you're right. Like he doesn't impact the game statistically. Um, you know, in, in any sort of loud noises, because that's just not his game. No. But little he has this ability. He throws this kind of blanket of comfort over that line and <laughs> yeah. just plays his part. And you know, warm milk, I, Louis Erickson. <laughs> completely. No, that's exactly. Forget little things. The playoff version is a glass of warm milk, and and the Canucks just drank it up. Yeah, lapped, like, lapped it up. <laughs> they stabilized their second line. I mean, ridiculous. What are we even talking about? It's so refill nuts. that re, refill that cup for Thursday and let's go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Louis. Louis is not leaving the top six, right? Like, but it's so not. you're in Edmonton. You're in Edmonton. I don't like. Just give me a sense, like from that distance. I don't know if you could feel. You know, there was some angst in town here. Obviously, oh, I mean, definitely. you lose one game in a show. So you know, a lot of the talking points yesterday were like, you know, who's got the most heat? How much heat's on Travis Green? You oh. know, people are so. <laughs> it got me to thinking, though. Like, I, I, as I was following Sakaris's Twitter feed, so I could tell the heat was getting turned up on on Travis. Um, you know, the uh, look you put. You also, you know, Travis is playing the secretive game, right? And he's oh. he's gone above and beyond even most of his other colleagues in terms of playing all of this close to the vest, right? Like, I had a fan in my mentions regarding the Twitter photo, the the photo of the Canucks on the ice yesterday. Yeah. That was deleted, right? And he framed it at me exactly like this, and I lost it. I was laughing so hard in the press box. This is just a random Canucks fan, and he tweets at me, and he says, um, we could tell from the photo that Green had deleted. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. Killed me. And so I was thinking about it, though. Like, when you do lock things down, considering the media needs and the demand from fans in the Vancouver market, uh, you do sort of put an additional target on your back and, and Travis didn't even need an additional target on his back considering you know this market's unending love affair and belief in Jake Vertanen uh the fact that you know the fact that Adam Gaudet was out of the lineup and we didn't realize it was because of an injury until after the game right like there were some decisions that fans you know were not too happy with not too pleased with uh, certainly unpopular and you know you can understand why that heat was turned up and, you know, to respond to it by playing Louis Erickson in your top six. I mean, that was gutsy, right? Like you got, it was a it, gutsy well, it, call. It, it was, and it, it was, but it wasn't because really, if you think about it and if you put yourself in Travis Green's shoes, you've lost the opener. You don't score a goal. You've got one goal in the bubble in two games. The heat is starting to get turned up under you as a head coach. And, you know, you step back for a second, and I would think Travis would probably have asked himself, all right, like, now it's, i, I got to figure this out. I have to figure this out. Like, when did my team play its best hockey this season? And you would go back to that stretch from the week before Christmas until the end of January, they went 14-3, and three, right? Like, that wasn't a team that was built to rattle off a stretch of 14 wins in 17 games, but they did it. Mm -hmm. And if you follow my logic... Then Travis is like, all right, so we were 14-3. and three. Like, you know, how did we get there? What were we doing? Oh, yeah, Louie was with Bo and Tanner Pearson throughout. And it kind of comes back to it. it makes no sense, but it makes perfect sense for this team 
in this moment, and it was the right call. It was. Like, as much as people will still pull their hair out that Louis Erickson's in the top six. Like, there are some that will just never be able to get over that, but... Well, if including you're me, to I, just wanna, I just want to make sure that I'm lumped <laughs> into that camp. Like, I woke up, I thought about it today, and I was just like, I still can't believe it. Like, I'm still not, I'm st- it still doesn't sit well with me. It just seems so nuts that he played 20 minutes in a playoff game in, in, in this year of our Lord 2020, J-Pat. Like, it blew my mind. Yeah, but milk, it does the body good, I'm telling you, like... <laughs> Oh my you're gonna goodness. have t-shirts you're gonna have got louis like I, I can just i can feel it now there's like a marketing campaign here um, <laughs> like i'm looking at it right now at five on five louis erickson played a full minute more than the next closest connect skater who was alexander edler and like like he played more than edler and tanev at five on five that blows my mind and look i you know what we, we've, we've started with Louie and it's hilarious and I'm glad we started with Louie because it's the little things but you know I, I we, we gotta we got we do have to move on to the beast performance that Elias Pettersson put in and some of the other more exciting things just because I will laugh for the entire half hour if we stay on this topic <laughs> fair enough <laughs> uh, let me just say one more thing it was a night for uh veteran Swedes though like Alex Adler was just an absolute beast in the hockey game too seven and a half minutes of penalty kill time and a couple of assists and you know it's still in there uh from time to time for Alex Adler like I thought he stepped up in a big way and Tyler Myers basically decided he wanted to spend most of the third period in the penalty box somebody else had to step in in those moments and the penalty kill was good last night and and, you know those are sort of those guys on the fringes and we talked a lot about penalty kill uh but there were no passengers ultimately there were no passengers uh with the the initial wave of injuries and then losing two more in game like everybody had to be pulling on the rope and I, I thought they did last night and and best players had to be the best players. Like that was the sort of common thread through the the day leading into the game. And my God, the best players were that from the twenty four second mark. And in fact, even before that, like off the opening faceoff, Horvat just whistled one high. He was looking for the top corner on Staylock mm-hmm. and didn't score. And the puck rattled around and obviously ends up on the stick of Tanner Pearson. And you know, for a guy that was probably at the top of the list of guys that really struggled in game one, it was good to see Tanner Pearson be the guy that you know, set the tone and got the jump. But you're right. It was the night that belonged to Elias Pettersson. And, uh, you know, it's some of the same thing. Like, Louis didn't figure in the scoring, but left his mark on the hockey game. You know, it wasn't the night that you walk away and you go, damn, like four points for Elias Pettersson. He was everywhere. He was everywhere, but there's still room for growth in terms of, you know, his absolute impact on the score sheet. But in terms of his impact elsewhere, I, I just love the fact that he dug in. And you need that at this time. And I... And I I really feel like he's so smart, and you've been around him now, I've been around him. We know, like, this guy takes challenges head on, and he processes the game so well. Like, I really do believe he just needed one look at the Minnesota Wild and play off hockey or play in hockey, and he made the adjustments. Like, you know, it felt like, okay, it didn't go his way on Sunday. He played hard, but he didn't have anything to show for it. They didn't have anything to show for it. He had a day off to sort of think about things, and... He just came back and went into beast mode last night. Yeah, and beast mode in a different way than we'd expect. Like, this wasn't just a raw dissection based on his offensive skill. This was, you know, taking things over defensively, right? Making some crazy desperation back checks. You know, I I know everyone in the market's talking about a relatively routine Vertanen back check when the back check that Pedersen had to get back after the Tyler Myers pinch, right? 
Like, that was unbelievable. That was an unbelievable play. And, you know, I think about the hits that he was throwing. I think about the Hartman exchange. And, and you know, you hope Hartman's all right, but you still love to see a 21-year-old player like Pedersen with the reputation that he has for, you know, being a guy who team other teams size up and think we can push this guy around physically, right? To play the way that he did and to have the impact that he's had and... You know, and, and we haven't talked about this a ton with Travis. We haven't talked about it a ton together yet, but it's Pedersen going up against Stahl. Like, this is right. what we saw in that last game. This is Pedersen in the hard match. And, well, it's not a hard match. It's a soft match, but it's against Tufts. And when I look through what Pedersen's accomplished, just five on five in this series to this point, like we're talking about, you know, the Canucks are plus nine in shot attempts through two games, plus six in shots, plus two in goals, plus seven in scoring chances. Like, this is becoming something where if you want to understand why the Wild haven't scored five on five, here's the reason or a big part of it. Stall and Fiala, when they're on the ice, they're playing Pedersen and they're in the defensive end. And, you know, it's hard to understate how big a cushion that gives the rest of the lineup, right? Like, all of a sudden, it's about winning or at least just holding your own in a variety of matchups that, you know, are, are significantly less imposing than the than the matchup that everyone was anticipating where the Canucks just need to contain Fiala, right? Like, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, can Yoel Eriksson-Eck and Zach Parise beat the Canucks? Can the Minnesota bottom six find enough offense to beat the Canucks? Like, those are the sort of conversations you, you start to get into as a result of what Pedersen's managed to accomplish uh, the way that he played too with Brock Besser yesterday and and JT Miller sort of stepping up, finding his fourth career playoff goal, uh, maybe starting to feel good about himself. Some of that swagger returning. Like, did you see his goal? Did you see Miller's goal celebration? Did it show through on TV? I've never really yep. seen a goal celly like this. But he just turns right to the bench and he's just like, oh, <laughs> like I've almost never seen a player celebrate a goal like that partly because you know there's the roar of the fans and guys kind of want to share the moment with the crowd but in this environment and I've seen a lot of games I've seen nine hockey games in the last 72 hours like insanity and turning to the bench and pointing at his guys I've never seen that before in a hockey game I don't think I thought that was instructive about what a weight off this club's shoulders yesterday was throughout I saw his reaction. I thought Brock Besser had some real emphasis on his two-handed sort of double fist pump. You know, it's a big goal to get them to 3-1, to one, but it's a big goal because he knows he's supposed to score and he hadn't scored in a while. And people like me and others were, you know, talking about <laughs> that. And so it was. It was a big goal. And, 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 you know, against Minnesota, all of that. So, yeah, you can feel it. Like, they're into it. And um, I just I loved so much about the sequence in the first three minutes of the second period. Minnesota scores the shorthanded goal. You know, not a good goal. Ties the game at one. They get to go to the room, probably feeling good about themselves. They've tied the game. Probably feel they've got some momentum. You remember the start of the second period, Zach Parisi steps on Troy Stetcher's stick. It was kind of a greasy call, but he went down and it's a penalty. We know that Canucks penalty killing got torched the other night for a couple of goals. So here it's a one-all game. You know, Minnesota's back in it. And they start the second period on a power play. Canucks penalty killers lock it down, get the job done. Miller scores. The toe drag, Pedersen going to the net. Like, I loved so much of that sequence. 
And then what I thought really was one of the key moments in the hockey game was the Markstrom save off stall. Because for all those reasons, the Canucks had done well to regain the lead. You know, their big guns were were starting to show up and play. And, you know, that's what Jacob Markstrom does for the Canucks when he's on and, and has done this for two years now. So often it's situational goaltending where you need the save. And he hadn't really delivered the save. I mean, he, he made a couple of stops in the first period after they had opened the scoring the other night to prevent it from getting to 2 nothing, But he needed that save. They needed that save. And it was a glorious chance for Yala to stall. And Markstrom, score, or Markstrom makes that save. And moments later, Besser is able to make it a 3-1 hockey game. So a lot could have happened that went against the Canucks in the first three to five minutes of the second period. But things kind of went their way. And I just thought that was a really critical part of that hockey game. Yeah, and, and I, I'm glad you brought up Markstrom because the... Two low leverage late goals that the Wilds scored make his numbers look not so good. But, you know, it's one of those things where, like, his numbers are good in that first game, but I didn't think he played very well. His numbers were not so good from that second game, and I thought he was absolutely at his best. Like, I thought that was Markstrom at his confident, comfortable, confidence-generating best for the Canucks. And, you know, I, I don't care what the save percentage looks like. Uh, just in ice, he was quiet, he was efficient. I thought he had a dominant game. I think there were long stretches of that third period and that second period where in the Wilds' head they were wondering if they could beat him. Uh, That's the sort of thing you need. That's the sort of thing this Canucks team especially needs and feeds off. Because I do kind of think Markstrom's the heartbeat of this team at the end of the day. Like, Pedersen's their best player. Hughes might be their most impactful player. I think Miller provides an awful lot of uh, swagger for the club, and obviously Bo Horvat's the captain. But for me, I, I do think Markstrom's the heartbeat, and I, I think a lot filters out from that crease when he's dialed in the way he way he was yesterday. I think that matters an awful lot to the club. I thought he was tremendous. Yeah, nine uh, power play shots for the Minnesota Wild, and they aren't uh, able to crack him. They did get the the shorthanded goal, uh, and that's one that you know generally he stops, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyways, uh, I know people were trying to make a lot about uh, the two late ones, and I know you asked him about the the the, the shot from center was a little wobblier than I I guess oh, I would have liked. It, right? But, yeah, he, he said that. He was like, just, yeah, I had too much time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> just let it hit my head. Yeah. Hey, I want to go. I want to go back to the start. I talked about the start of the second period. Uh, the starts of all three periods. I mean, Pearson opens the scoring twenty four seconds in. I laid out the sequence there at the start of the second. I was really curious to see, like, how are the Canucks going to approach a third period? Not battle-tested in the playoffs, uh, so many of them. And with a 3-1 lead. And, and they had played well, and they were full value for it. But, you know, they're already down Furland, and then they lose Roussel early in that third period, too. So, you know, things were starting to conspire against them a little bit. They couldn't have asked for a better start, though, ultimately, to the third period. And so much of it was on Elias Pettersson. Like, you know, I, I worried that they might sit back and try to protect... And instead, what does Patterson do? Comes out, first shift, draws the penalty from Galchenyuk. And the Canucks go to work on the power play. He gets his one-timer going, which I know he didn't score on, but that's so encouraging to me that they found time and space for him with the one-timer. Uh, there was a sequence there where he got a shot away and the puck went to the corner. And like he took a run at Ryan Suter on the yeah, end board. Awesome. Like, and, and he delivered a big hit. Like It was a big hit. And that's a big dude yeah. <laughs> who's been at this for a while. <laughs> Tree of and a man. Th- and then, uh, you know, he draws the slide. So they don't score on that power play, but they draw another penalty, and it's Hunt has to get the stick on Pedersen. So, 
you know, how did they start the third period? Yeah, there was no sitting back. It was their best player saying, fuck this. Like, we're going to spend this third period in the offensive end, and we're going to make things happen. And ultimately, you know, enough power play chances. I like the look of the power play. I thought it got better as the night went on. It really did feel like a matter of time before they cashed in. And, of course, it's the power play ace, uh, Bo Horvat, who does all of his scoring uh, with the man advantage, and that was a nifty little deflection in the high slot. So I just thought, uh, again, I mean, we're, we're a ton of praise for Pedersen. I think uh, it's deserved, but, you know, some of it isn't, like, so much of Pedersen is the flashy highlight reel stuff. Uh, this was away from the puck. Like, you know, and I'm sure you had a good view of, he got steamrolled by Parise in the third, right? Like, he was trying to do his dekes, and, you know, that's going to come with the territory. Like, he's a marked man, and Zach Parise took his opportunity but again, I love the reaction. Like, it almost brought a smile to Pedersen's face. Like, yeah, bring it on. Like, that's all you got? And he popped up and dusted himself off, and away he went. And that's when he got into the exchange with Hartman a little bit later on. So uh, he's into this thing. And that's a great sign for the Canucks and maybe not such a great sign for the Minnesota Wild. Well, you know I can I can talk PD all day. So let, yes. me, quickly, let me quickly do uh, just an overall recap of, of what, you know, when I look at this crooked stat line, right, like, Pedersen didn't score. Uh, he just had the first assist, right? But five shots, six attempts, three of those shots were scoring chances, according to naturalstattrick.com, and then three penalties drawn. But the two moments that stand out to me the most, one was, you know, he tried to do that deke on Parise and got smacked. But the best deke, the best bro-do-your-deeks moment of the game was when he had that little maneuver in the defensive end, Right. Beat a, beat a player and got the puck cleared pretty late in the game. But he made a really high-risk maneuver, uh, sort of play that really only Pedersen seems to be able to make, uh, or would even try, to be totally honest with you. Right. And their reaction from the Canucks bench to that deke was the loudest reaction that they had to anything all game, I think, with the exception of the goal scored. Like, that was that was a massive highlight. Like, guys were losing it. Over that particular sequence. The other thing that really struck out, stuck out to me was after the Hartman thing, uh, Pedersen goes back to the bench, and I don't know why, but the Jumbotron camera just focused on him, like focused on his face, and he just looked completely stone cold. You know what I mean? Like just like absolute ice water in his veins. And I, I, I was just looking at it, I was like, it's kind of terrifying. Like that's kind of scary. Like yeah. it was uh it was an impressive moment I thought just of composure. Like there was no he was just so dialed in, you know? It, not that he was like callous to the fact that a player had been hurt or anything. He just like he was so dialed in. There was no no chirping from the wild bench, no concern about a call. Nothing was getting in the way. He just looked during that stoppage like all that mattered was the next shift. All that mattered was the next moment. Uh, to have that kind of demeanor, to have that kind of game, to bounce back the way that he did uh, at the age that he is at 21, I, I, honestly, I was so impressed, and and I continue to be so impressed by Patterson. I, I want to talk real quickly about the power play because it did struggle sure. early, right? Like those power yeah. plays in the first were ugly, and overall, it ended up having a really good night. And the key adjustment that they made after the first period was Miller went back to that downhill side, right? They had Besser originally there on his uh, one-timer side at the left circle. Miller goes back to his downhill side, running the left half wall where he kind of runs the power play, and they move Brock down into Toffoli's usual spot. So originally they thought 
they'd go back to their year opening power play configuration. Toward the end, they went back to what they've been doing for the last, certainly after the last 10 games of the season, when I actually thought the Canucks power play was at its most efficient, ruthless, and best. And just plug in Besser, plug and play Besser in for Toffoli. I think that worked way better. I thought their power plays in the latter half of the game were significantly, significantly stronger, right? Like, you know, you look at sort of the first period and they have uh, four shots on that six minutes of power play to ice that they have and they and they obviously surrender a goal against in that time. Um, you know, then you go, you go, you get to the third period, right? And the Canucks have six shots, seven scoring chances in four and a half minutes. Like that was a really big, quietly, a really big in-game adjustment and uh, and something that I think we'll see a lot more of, especially in the in the event that Toffoli, who you know, as I reported, was in a walking boot yesterday um, within the bubble. Uh, you know, especially in the event that he misses the balance of the series or more, uh, I think the fact that they managed to plug Brock in and the fact that Brock found ways to make plays for Bo Horvat. Um, kind of looked good in that spot, actually, which isn't a surprise considering his overall hockey IQ. I thought that was a really big in-game adjustment and one that I'm curious to see. Now that they've got that power play, they know what it's going to be like. There's going to be no figuring it out again in-game, in game three. I'm curious to see what that looks like because based on what the third period looked like, even if they didn't score necessarily, or I guess they did, they had one. But, you know, even though they got the game winner there, um, I thought they looked full of it. Like, I thought they looked like they were threatening for more than that. And and I think if they go with that configuration, I think that could be a really big factor um, in this series. And I saw you dropped a Nodak reference that was received well in some corners of Twitter. Yeah, my, I mean, Mike just has to screw off. Like, Mike, I don't care. I want to, I, I like, I, I want to call him like mean girl Mike Martinego. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he's like, uh, he like carrying himself like, um, like Rachel McAdam and Mean Girls or something here. And it's just like, Mike, I don't care. Like, I don't care at all. I just want you to know that. But I feel obliged to respond out of respect for Rantanago and, and some of the bits that I used to love when I was, uh, you know, back in the days when I was just a fan and not in the media side. So, uh, but Mike, fuck off. I just want to, I'm, I'm going to send you that message here. Hey, to Foley, I mean, a walking boot, that's not a good sign, obviously. Uh, it was fascinating the forensic evidence with the photo that was posted and then taken back and and or deleted and he didn't appear in it and you know that kind of got the ball rolling and then I know Travis had dropped injuries uh, in his pregame interview and you know we're starting to piece the put the pieces together that look there are going to be changes people were calling for changes regardless but you know maybe there was an injury to come out of the uh, opening game that we weren't on to. Uh, the Gaudet thing, like I think a lot of people thought Gaudet might come out, and I think you were one of the ones that was pushing that as uh, a change to be looked at if he was healthy. I I'm still unclear, you know, that unfit to play is just so vague, like specifics are in short supply now. Uh, Gaudet was on the ice for that morning skate yesterday, so, you know, I don't know if that's encouraging that, you know, whatever kept him out of the lineup may not be a long-term thing, and maybe he'll be available, but... Look, Furlan disappears, no explanation. You hope that it's not another head injury or a recurrence. But remember, you go back to December, like he returned to the lineup after five weeks off, got through the first game, and then it was the second game, the Leaf game, that he left, and that was the last we'd seen of him. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that he's completely out of the woods based on the fact that he finished the game the other night, you know, in which he had a fight. So, again, we just don't know. 
And then Roussel, uh, you hopeful, hate to see that. Hopeful for him. And and Roussel, yeah, Roussel, that was a hard shot. Like, that was yeah. a really hard shot that caught him. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Like, the thing about the playoffs is guys tend to heal pretty miraculously. You know, the, the I've heard some indications that there's definitely some concern that Toffoli, like, I, I said more than day-to-day. That's definitely right. fair. More, more yep. than day-to-day. But I don't think we're at the point... Um, where we're necessarily week to week either, right? Like it's it's just I we'll sort of see. They're gonna they're gonna try and figure it out. Godet, Roussel, you know, I'm not counting them out yet. I'm not I'm not sort of side eyeing the likes of Grayovac and Bailey uh, just yet. We'll sort of see the next time the Canucks Twitter feed accidentally posts a photo, um, <laughs> and and Green somehow manages to get it deleted before. <laughs> before uh like he was on the ice there's no way green saw that in time to get it deleted right i would say he's that's on not the ice possible. i he's know on the that ice. there's no but way but he sees everything he sees and everything if he's, for sure and if he, and if he sees to every podcast and if he, right so if he sees his <laughs> social if he sees his social media quarter there's only one guy in the building it's their social media guy and if he sees him snapping photos uh, you know, it wouldn't put it past Travis to think like, forget it. Like you're not because to this point, all the photos that we had seen of practices and skates had been wide angle, like from the top of the stands that you really couldn't make out much of anything. Like we haven't seen many right. kind of close up group shot group shots like that one. So who knows why it got deleted? Who made that call ultimately? But it was there. It was preserved. We all had a chance to see it. And I, I again, like you know, we don't necessarily like the regulations that don't allow us to get the information that we want for our jobs. But I do get a kick out of, you know, people with these forensic audits of the, the evidence that we do have to work with. So, oh, you know, it's people, so funny. yeah, people were doing deep dives yesterday based on, you know, what we saw from one photo that got deleted from the team's official account. And, you know, I think tomorrow will be the same. It's the early game. So the intrigue won't have the time to build, but you know, we probably won't know who's available for selection until they come down that tunnel and step onto the ice for warm up. Oh, for sure we won't cuz there'll be no they won't be on the ice. And uh, I mean at least they won't be on the ice tomorrow, right? And yeah. then and then we're then we're into, you know, two games in two days and we should tell everyone we're going to do a we're going to do a special weekend edition of the Vancast um yeah, on we will. Saturday. Though maybe maybe Maybe, and we'll have to clear this with our producer, maybe Friday night if they get the early game again on Friday. Though I don't think they will. I think it'll be staggered. So we'll do, but we'll do a special van cast on the other side of the back-to-back that, you know, could settle this series, right? Like this series could be over by the time we next chat, which is nuts. But these play-in series, like I, I've loved the hockey, j Like I've loved it. I, I actually think, you know, I think about almost every day I'm in Edmonton, I, I reflect on the day that was afterwards, and it's always like there were lots of storylines that I enjoyed over the course of the day. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's the other day and it's, you know, Sagan and Ben, um, or sorry, Sagan and uh, Dickinson and Leonard Neal with Ryan Reeves in the midday game. And there's, you know, this great um, Winnipeg Jets comeback uh, with Nikolai Ehlers sort of scoring his first playoff goal in the in the early game and then you know at night the Canucks play and you know every day it's just felt like there's it's felt like a festival of hockey and and I've really enjoyed watching three four games a day Uh, I think the hockey's been good and I I think this Canucks wild series has been 
a, a lot of fun. Like, it's a really interesting matchup, and I think the teams have somehow managed to find a level of dislike with one another um, that I really admire, considering, like, there wasn't a single spark in the season series, right? Like, there wasn't a single spark between these teams in the single series, in the season no, series. No, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, the game in Minnesota had the fight between McEwen and Felino. It had Jake Furtanen fighting Jason Zucker. There was the, the big hit on Antoine Roussel. There was, I, there was one game that had a little bit of steam to it. But, but it was... But over- but it was- it was Overall. steam. It was steam directed at Matt Greslick. Like, like the wild. Were, <laughs> the wild happened to be there, but it wasn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the they weren't the ones. That, no, you're they, right. They, you know, like it was. They were. They They're were caught a up in the aftermath. Yeah, yeah. They were a stand-in for the real <laughs> object of the club's ire. So you know, I, I just I don't know where these teams found this level of dislike, but like right, you know, even after the whistle, right, like. 20 guys on the ice just jawing one another. Yeah, it was I saw great. That. I loved it. I, I loved every minute of it. I'm really excited to see what uh, what a back-to-back does to this series. I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, look, I mean, you've been around this team, obviously stepped away and were in Florida, but kept tabs on what was going on in Vancouver. So you weren't here throughout, but you know that, like, you know how dark it's been the last four seasons for the Canucks, obviously, since they were last in the playoffs. And, and here we are in the middle of summer playing hockey in this bubble, but... Damn, it felt good to feel the angst in this city on a game day with this team down one nothing and facing the notion of being out of it before it even began. Like, there was some heft to the game yesterday, and I loved it. I just, I loved that feeling. It's been way too long. We need more of it. And obviously now it's a series, and we know there's a game three, and we know there'll be a game four as well. And, you know, I, I picked the Canucks in five, and I still kind of feel it will go the distance. So we'll see how it all plays out, but... Uh, I just, I loved that feeling yesterday that that game mattered and that, you know, people couldn't wait. Like the face-off couldn't get there quickly enough, even though face-off ended up being delayed. I mean, close to nine o'clock local time there in Edmonton and just before eight in Vancouver. But, you know, that'll return now because uh, it's boiled down to a best of three. And so I can't wait to to see where this thing goes. Hey, as we wrap things up, (laughs) you got to fill me in on the details here because you texted me the other day and made me laugh. When you talked about an encounter that you had inside the bubble and life with masks, and I know you've posted and I think you've made it your avatar, uh, Jeff Vinnick took yes. photos of you sitting there, and, and so you're a masked man, but you know, we see it. I mean, management and the players that aren't playing and they're abiding by the rules, they've got their masks on. But you thought you spent an intermission talking to Chris <laughs> Cuthbert? Yeah, so I, I saw a you know, a well dressed uh, bald man uh, having coffee, and I approached him, and I, I was, thought it was Ken Weeb, and Ken Weeb, of oh. course, my former athletic colleague, right, a, a good friend of mine. Um, you know, I approach him and I say, "Hey, Ken," but I've got my mask on, so I don't think I got the greeting. <laughs> like, I don't think it was audible enough that it was clear that who I'd said hi to. You know what I mean? Like, I think it could have sounded <laughs> yeah. like Chris. So right. Chris Cuthbert turns around, and I just still don't clue in. I'm like, that doesn't look like Ken. But I just, like, start talking about the game. And we talk for five, ten minutes. And he walks away. And it's only really after he leaves that I'm like, that's not Ken. That's not Ken Weeb. In fact, you know what? I, it wasn't until I saw Ken Weeb walk by me that I was like, oh, my God. Like, I have complete, I've just had a conversation with legendary broadcaster Chris Cuthbert thinking, being certain, in fact, that he was, in fact, Ken Weeb, my, my dear friend. And... 
so yeah so i just like i walked back and i like you know you do that thing where you cycle back and review the conversation and you're like did anything i say right. tip off that the, and then and then i just thought to myself you know i can't wait for the mask era to end for a variety of reasons but especially the reason that you know a i'm not clear enough in what i'm saying that people can't even tell when i'm calling them by the wrong name and b um, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that I can't tell people apart and, uh, truly, truly one of the most mortifying experiences I've ever had at the rink and J Pat, you've been with me a long time. You know, I've had a lot of them. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn. I wish I was there. That is so good. So, so good. So sad. I was so angry with myself and, and like, especially cause, especially cause like legendary broadcaster Chris Cuthbert, Chris Cuthbert has an extraordinarily distinctive voice, right? Like he does. He yes. starts talking and I'm just like, that doesn't sound like Ken. Like masks are weird. <laughs> I just didn't figure it out, man. I'm still mad at myself. Honestly, <laughs> I still love horrified. it. No, good way to end uh, this episode of the Vancast. Uh, you've probably seen, I know you're wrapped up uh, there in Edmonton, but you've probably seen Corey Schneider doing a little moonlighting on uh, television oh, with the, Off. with the good flow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Uh, there's a lot of good hockey hair here, right? You know, guys have had four months off to let it grow, and he's among them. And uh, but there's some some good heads of uh, hockey hair out there. But good to see Corey Schneider. Not surprised that he's getting a chance to do some broadcasting. He was always one of the the brightest guys in the room in a great interview. Uh, he's also podcasting too. Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBrun have managed to get Corey Schneider on Two Man Advantage. So check that out uh, this week at the Athletic. Again, we'll be back to do. Another, a bonus one, after Game 4 somehow, either late Friday or Saturday. We'll uh, certainly let people know on the social channels when we get back to doing this. And uh, we won't leave you hanging as this series progresses. <laughs> a win a piece. And we're going to get Drancer, let him go, get name tags for everybody in the uh, press box so that uh, yes, you I'm avoid any more. Im- yeah. And Even the reliving beauty- this story has been painful. <laughs> so I love it. Oh, I just so wish I had been there. But <laughs> all right. Oh man. Hey, uh, really quickly, just let me encourage uh, the, our listeners. I've just published an anonymous player diary a week inside the NHL's Western Bubble with lots of details on the board games, the the snacks, uh, the video games, the N sixty four matches that have become on vogue that are all the rage for the players living through this bubble experience in the western phase four secure zone in edmonton check that out at theathletic.com all right well cheers to you a big glass of warm milk and uh (laughs) warm milk for everybody (laughs) keep the milk handy for that early start on thursday hey check out our comment section for each podcast here at uh, the athletic app and don't forget to rate and subscribe the vancast on apple you click on the show URL, theathletic.com, slash the Vancast, you get 40% off your subscription. Off you go to watch another day of hockey in the bubble in Edmonton, Drancer. We'll catch up later in the week after games three and four.